Good morning. I'm James Hellman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, November 11th. In today's news, Nikki Haley claims in a new book that the former White House chief of staff tried to recruit her to save the country by undermining President Trump. She says she refused to go along. Bolivia's president resigns amid election irregularities and increasingly violent street protests. And a day of rage plunges Hong Kong into turmoil after police kill a protester. But first, the big idea. In the nearly 3,000 pages of interview transcripts from the House impeachment inquiry that were released last week, Trump often seems like a supporting character in someone else's drama. Aides struggle to please him, they fret about his fits of rage, and do their best to anticipate his ever-shifting impulses and desires. Trump is an unseen and mercurial presence. Gordon Sundland, the Trump mega-donor turned diplomat, sought to help Ukraine's new leader, desperate for American aid in an Oval Office meeting with Trump, understand what exactly the president wanted from him. But even Sundland says he wasn't so sure, complaining during his deposition, quote, President Trump changes his mind on what he wants on a daily basis. A key question as public impeachment hearings begin starting on Wednesday is, what did Trump want from Ukraine and what exactly did he do to try to get it? To answer that question, Republicans and Democrats have cited the rough transcript of Trump's July 25th call with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, a conversation that witnesses have described as improper, shocking, and a confusing mishmash of conspiracy theories, empty threats, and non-sequiturs. Republicans have made the rough transcript and the chaotic nature of the Trump presidency it reflects a central part of their defense. But Democrats are counting on using the testimony of those around Trump, a mix of aides, sycophants, and serious-minded civil servants, to make clear exactly what Trump was demanding of the Ukrainian president in the context going into the July 25th call. My colleague Greg Jaffe, who read through all 3,000 pages of the deposition transcripts this weekend, was struck by the extent to which senior U.S. officials working on Ukraine really lived in a state of dread and confusion over what the president might do or tweet next. Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch was clinging to her job in Kiev this spring amid a smear campaign orchestrated by Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal attorney, when State Department officials in Washington told to leave her possessions behind and come home on the first possible plane. Her bosses in D.C. didn't fear for her physical safety. Rather, they feared the wrath of Donald Trump. Most officials suspected Trump's rage traced back to the conspiracy theory conversations that he was having with Giuliani regarding the alleged and unsubstantiated Ukrainian interference in the 2016 election. Trump has pursued that because he thinks that Russia did not interfere in the election. Giuliani often called Trump on his personal cell phone, so there's no record of when he called or what he talked about with the president. Even the highest ranking officials were flying blind. For example, whenever Giuliani popped up on television in John Bolton's West Wing office, the national security advisor would turn up the volume so that he could try to learn what Giuliani might be telling Trump. That's according to the testimony of Fiona Hill, who oversaw Russia and Ukraine policy on the National Security Council. Less clear is whether Trump himself issued the explicit order to put a hold on $391 million in military aid to shake down the Ukrainians. 
Senior U.S. officials first learned of the freeze during a July 18th video conference in which an off-camera staff person from the White House's Office of Management and Budget said there was a hold on the aid but refused to say why. Acting Ambassador Bill Taylor, who had dialed into the conference call from Ukraine, recalled that he sat there in astonishment. Top officials at the Pentagon and State Department spent much of July and August struggling to figure out why the aid had been frozen and how to get it flowing. The answers were vague and unsatisfying. That leaves Sunderland as the witness who had the most frequent and direct conversations with Trump about Ukraine. Sunderland, though, has proved to be an unreliable narrator, subject to massive memory gaps, frequent misstatements, and a tendency toward self-aggrandizement. He boasted to White House officials of his frequent meetings with Trump, but he seems to have been exaggerating. In his sworn testimony, Sunderland struggled to recall meetings with the president and other top U.S. officials, prompting flustered Democrats to wonder whether he was drunk or on some kind of medication that causes memory lapses. They asked Taylor, the acting ambassador, to Kiev, and he replied that Sunderland always seemed sober in their conversations. Never a good sign, though, when you need to ask. In September, Sunderland told top Ukrainian officials that their military aid wouldn't flow until Zelensky announced on television that he would investigate the Ukrainian gas company that employed Joe Biden's son. The Ukrainians pondered putting Zelensky on CNN. Sunland, though, eager to please Trump, suggested that they put him on Tucker Carlson's Fox News program. It never happened. Meanwhile, senior U.S. officials in Kiev and Washington worried that the entire scheme was illegal. Notably, Sunland, the witness from the closed-door round of questioning who spoke most directly with Trump about Ukraine, is not on the witness list of either party. Instead, Taylor and George Kent, a top State Department official, are set to testify in public on Wednesday, and Yovanovitch, the deposed ex-ambassador, will testify in an open session on Friday. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, former UN ambassador Nikki Haley claims in a new memoir that former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson and former White House Chief of Staff John Kelly both tried to recruit her to, quote, save the country by undermining Trump. In a book that comes out tomorrow, Haley writes that Kelly and Tillerson confided in her that when they resisted the president, they weren't being insubordinate. They were trying to save the country. The former South Carolina governor says they told her that the president didn't know what he was doing and was out of his depth, and they believed they needed to thwart him to protect the best interests of the United States. Haley says Tillerson, the former ExxonMobil CEO who Trump picked to be the nation's chief diplomat, even told her that Americans would die if Trump was allowed to pursue his whims unchecked. She recounts this story not as a critique of Trump and a startling red flag about his fitness for the highest office in the land, but to attack those two men for disloyalty. She says they should have resigned if they were opposed to the president's agenda. Tillerson didn't respond to requests for comment, and Kelly declined to comment in detail, but the retired four-star Marine general said in an email that, quote, if providing the president with the best legal and ethical advice from across the government so he could make informed decisions is working against Trump, then guilty is charged. Haley is widely viewed as Republicans' perhaps best hope of running for president in 2024, if Mike Pence for some reason does not. She has repeatedly sought to minimize differences with Trump while distancing herself from his excesses. 
Haley says Tillerson and others had an obligation to carry out the president's agenda. She says Kelly stalled and put her off when she wanted to get in to talk to Trump directly. When she went around him, he complained. Kelly also made it clear that he thought Trump's decision to make Healy a full member of the cabinet, which allowed her to attend National Security Council meetings, was, quote, terrible. That's in Haley's view. As part of her promotion tour for this new book, Haley says that she opposes Trump's efforts to seek foreign help for political investigations, but says nothing he did vis-a-vis Ukraine is impeachable. Number two. Bolivian President Evo Morales resigned last night amid an increasingly violent uprising that he's calling a coup after the country's military pulled its support. Morales's stunning fall after 14 years in office came hours after the Organization of American States said it had found clear manipulation of the vote returns last month in which the elder statesmen of the Latin American left claimed victory. The dizzying pace of developments on Sunday made an ignominious ending for the region's longest-serving leader. Bolivia's first indigenous president won credit for fighting poverty and transforming cities with state investment, even as criticism of his authoritarian tendencies rose. Ultimately, the 60-year-old socialist, who once commanded landslide victories at the polls, found himself isolated. The heads of the armed forces and the national police both called on Morales to step down on Sunday, and the country's main labor union asked him to resign if that's what it took to save a nation rapidly plunging into mob rule. Late Sunday, Morales tweeted that a police official had publicly called for his detention. General Vladimir Calderon, the head of Bolivia's national police force, denied in a press conference that arrest warrants have been issued for Morales or his ministers, adding that forces have been deployed to try to restore order amid widespread reports of looting and violence. But Morales's resignation has not stopped the violence. Socialist officials denounced the ransacking of Morales' home overnight, and the former head of Bolivia's electoral tribunal has been detained. Also stepping down under pressure were the vice president, the president of the Chamber of Deputies, and the Senate president. This leaves the country without any constitutionally elected leader. The resignation of the leader of the legislature happened after protesters set his house in a mountain city ablaze and kidnapped his brother until he resigned. It's unclear who takes charge now. Under the Bolivian constitution, elections after such a crisis must be held within 90 days. Number three, the shooting of a pro-democracy protester by Hong Kong police has unleashed a chaotic chain of events there today, as thousands of demonstrators continue to clash this hour with riot police in the city's financial district and violent confrontations erupt at university campuses, plunging the Asian financial hub further into turmoil. Tensions have soared across the city. It's afternoon there now, and police have fired tear gas as a melee of protesters and office workers pack streets and flyovers in the downtown area. There's shouting, disband the police, disband the police. Protesters have thrown debris into the road. They brought traffic to a halt. They're setting everything ablaze. A man was doused with liquid and set alight. It's unclear if he set himself on fire. There had been calls for a general strike on Monday, and these are the latest steps in months of anti-government unrest that has convulsed the former British colony and posed a direct challenge to Chinese rule. But the immediate spark for this latest escalation came when a police officer fired live rounds early in the day, critically injuring a 21-year-old protester who appears to have been unarmed. Police confirm that one man was shot fatally by an officer. Far from blunting the democracy movement, the intensifying crackdown by the regime 
has prompted protesters to adopt more aggressive tactics in the name of pursuing freedom. With the deeply divided city descending deeper into disorder, there has been no sign that the communists in Beijing might change tack or allow the Hong Kong government to offer some kind of political compromise. The world continues to watch. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, November 11th. To the veterans listening, thank you for your service. Happy Veterans Day. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.